Uh, it is great to be back for, for some of the guests here. Uh, Phyllis and I have been gone for the past couple of weeks uh, on, a, on a special special journey that we want to share just a few thoughts about. But before we even do that, I, I want to pause for a moment just to thank Josh and Michelle and everything for taking care of business. You know, while we were gone, it, we shared many times with many different people. It's, it's very comforting to know that the elders, the deacons, the teachers, and Josh and Michelle, they're all back here. Uh, just cranking it in champagne and, and, and uh, serving the Lord, and we can go and, you know, not have to worry about things like that. Uh, our trip can be broken up basically into three segments. The first one is a conference in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, it was called EEME, to be honest with you. I don't really know what the last E stands for. It was Eastern European Missions Eurasia, and also other Europeans because there were people from the UK there too and there was also from the Middle East uh, people uh, from churches in Lebanon and, and Jordan uh, and, and Eurasia meaning Russia basically and uh, some of the Baltic churches and so it was all there it was an incredible time in Istanbul and the second phase was a, a, a bus tour if you will um, th uh, through the archaeological sites of the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation and uh, all of them are within a relatively short distance by bus anyway uh, in, on, the, on the Mediterranean side of Turkey. And what was really great about that was not necessarily seeing the sights, although that was really cool. What it was was we had basically four days with uh, uh, brothers and sisters from all over that we really got, I mean, every breakfast, every lunch, every dinner, every coffee break, tea break, riding in the buses, we're with these, getting to know them, visiting and talking. Things that never happened at the conference because there wasn't enough time to really get to know people and uh, to see their needs. And Phyllis is going to introduce us here to, to some of those people here in just a moment and share things. The third leg was five days in Odessa, Ukraine, working with that church. And uh, a lot of things here that the Church with Champagne is partnering with the church in Odessa uh, for. But uh, before we even get on with some of that, I'm going to have Miss Phyllis come up, introduce you to some uh, new brothers and sisters we met and really got to know better, and some old ones that we even got to know better uh, as well. It is great to be back in even though we loved being over in Istanbul and Odessa. And Odessa has become more like a second home. And I think partly because we keep Skyping with Sasha and Maya each week. And, but we're also just reconnecting with people over there. And so we were greeted very well and taken care of, but we did miss all of you guys and we talked about you and we uh, prayed for you. And they, uh, the church in Odessa is so thankful for Champagne. And they just, they love you guys. That's what I, you know, and they want, there's many of them that want to come and visit, but there are many, we would like to take all of you there. Um, maybe we'll just have to do a Champagne Odessa conference, and we go there, because I think we all need to go and to see and to live the way that they live, because it's encouraging, it's challenging, but it's inspiring at the same time. But what, um, I mean, there's a picture of Tracy, Sasha, and I at one of the sites. I forget where. They all looked, started looking the same. Uh, <laughs> but we have a book on the, on, on the tour, and so they have pictures, and I can go, all right, that was Laodicea. That was Ephesus, you know, so I have no idea. But anyway, so 
I want to start off by sharing a scripture that we talk about here in Champaign in Ephesians 4.16. It says, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And we talk about that here, how we are so important to support each other because we're all doing different things, different talents, different gifts, different roles, but we support each other. And as we do, the body of Christ gets built up. But I think being at this conference and seeing 200 people from the UK to the Middle East, and I think only 10 or 12 of us Americans, the rest are out there preaching the word, leading churches, or just serving a church without pay. Um, this scripture came to life even more. Each part each country, all these disciples are doing their, their, their best to support the body. And it is just even bigger and more real. You know, it's, it, was, it was very surreal, but this scripture is one that came to mind. So I just wanted to share that with you, and hopefully someday you will see all of them. Um, so this is Sasha. Sasha and I are doing great in Odessa. You know that they lost Ksenia several years ago. They have Honey Bunny. I don't actually know that child's name. Uh, <laughs> Nikita. But his Honey Bunny is on board. It's on, printed on the back of his car. And uh, Sasha and Maya are reaching out to families that have lost a child or that has a termini terminally ill child. And they're doing great. They want to start a grieving group for parents and um, because it's Champaign helped them and you know, Chicago helped them and St. Louis helped them and Madison helped them and they just want to give back and they're not through the pain they'll always have that but it's learning how to live with it with God and having a new normal so but they did say that Honey Bunny has brought them new joy and has refreshed them. So that's very, it's God's gift to them to help them to get through a very difficult time. So now, here is Slava and Yana from Moldova. Yeah. That guy can speak no English, but he is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> they lead the church in Moldova. They have two sons. They're just a great couple, but he is hilarious. Just, yeah, he doesn't need English. Um, and then here's Oleg, Oleg, Oleg from Cyprus. Let's see. Ah, there he is. He looks like Dave Maluknock. Um, they could be brothers. But anyway, so he and his wife uh, lead the church in Cyprus. They are not full-time. He works, and they lead the church. Uh, very nice guy, speaks English, so that was really cool. And uh, there, then there's Andrew and Mila, and they are from Nipper-Petros. Tracy and I went there last, the la our last visit. Great young couple. They're doing a great job leading there. Um, the church is small, but they continue just to have a lot of faith and to get discipling and help. So the church is, is growing. Um, very soft hearts, um, and we communicate with with Sasha. We're, Tracy and I are learning Russian. We're starting because it's becoming more and more important for us to, to do that. 
Um, now here's Marcella and how do you say his? Vangel. Cute little people. Um, <laughs> they are from Albania. Actually, they were converted years ago in campus. They have three children. They speak English well. They're, um, they were, like, well, they were on campus. They were students. Um, they were telling us that everyone in the church speaks English. English is just, well, it, you could go there and actually get a job and speak English, and everybody would understand you, which is awesome. But they're in Albania. And then, now here is Guri. Guri? No. It's like, okay, this is Gary in English. And, and Annie. <laughs> and they, read, they lead the church in Bucharest, Romania. Great couple. Um, just so much fun. She was helping me um, shop. And so we became instant friends. But they just, a lot of faith. The church is doing well in, in Bucharest. And you know that's where Yanello became a disciple. So that's even close to our hearts. Next is Petty and Virag. And they were here uh, last year, last spring. They're doing terrific um, in Budapest. And um, we're, we're keeping in touch with them. And she took over 500 photographs. So if you want to see more, we have them. Um, and then all of you know Terry, Terry Fender. All right, many of you do. Dave Miller, he was very, um, what's the word? He said he needs some discipling from you. So he needs for Dave to sit down and study the Bible with him again. But Terry, uh, he and his wife lead the church in Geneva. And uh, he did a fantastic lesson on prayer. And he didn't talk about prayer. He read an hour's worth of scriptures on prayer and mentioned very little of his own words but of his convictions. It was such a great lesson. So those are just a few people and and it's also great because I want you to know that when we give to missions these are people we're supporting. We're being part of that. We're part of the body that we're helping, we're supporting um, and they're making a difference in their countries and they are leading people to Christ. All of these churches are growing. So anyway, so just to put a face, when as you're saving your money for October, this is them. So as Phyllis said, uh, all of these people that we've shown here, they're part of the Eastern European missions. Thierry there um, converted here in Champagne. You never know. He was here for one semester of school was reached out to, started studying the Bible, and uh, now leading the church in Geneva. Uh, we work specifically with Eastern Europe. There's eight countries, particularly uh, about 170-something million people. Of all those countries, not all of them are part of the European Union. Some are, some are not. They have many different currencies, many different cultures, different languages. Some of them... You can survive, as Phyllis said, in English, uh, but only a small handful, basically like Croatia, Albania, or something. Others, forget it. you got to know that language to, to really move and function there. And uh, there's 303 disciples scattered throughout that. And uh, these people just serving there and great. And, and if you noticed all the pictures, they were kind of outside and stuff. That was from the tour. We, we got tons of time with all of these people. And uh, setting up 
you know, once a month we want to Skype together. We want to keep going. We want to keep the relationships going. Of course, we work specifically with Odessa and, uh, and, and Sasha and Maya and then their shepherding team and then our elders beginning to get, develop more and more relationship with their shepherding group there uh, to really bond our two churches together because the Apostle Paul said God wanted all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He told Timothy that in the in his letter we call 1 Timothy, in chapter 2, verses uh, 3 and 4. And Paul said, God wants everybody all over. And that's what Jesus talked about. I mean, right before he left in Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples of all nations. That word nation is in Greek, in the, in the, in the language it was written in, ethnos. So that's not too far for us to figure out what word we get from that. Ethnic. It means any multitude, any group associated or living together. He says, I want all of them. Mark worded it a little bit differently in Mark 16. He, told, he said that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And this word that is translated world there in, in Mark 16 is actually the Greek word cosmos, which obviously we get the word cosmic or cosmos from that, meaning the universe everything. He said, go into everywhere. Now, our roots are the Church of Christ. Then we became the International Churches of Christ. Maybe according to Mark 16, we should become the Pan-Cosmic Churches of Christ, or the Intergalactic Churches of Christ, or the Champagne-Cosmic Church of Christ. And I'm sure that would be great. I don't know. But you get the idea. Jesus says, I want everybody. God wants everybody. And this conference that we went to, it, uh, it focused in all, everything that we focused on was from the book of Ephesians, and, uh, and then later we actually went to the city of Ephesus, or where it was anyway, and Chris Reed did this lesson, and it was it's, it's, you know, just on the first 14 verses of, of, of Ephesians chapter 1, and honestly, you could have done the whole conference just on those 14 verses, but there was one thing out of that that just jumped out at me, at tying all of this together that I want to share with you, and it's talking about living at the center of God's will. Living at the center of God's will. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, and this comes from verses 1 through 14, but if you pick it up like verse 3, we all love verse 3, right? Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Oh, we love that one, Right? We like our blessings. Don't go messing with my blessings. We like our blessings. We describe ourselves by our blessings. Like, you know, I'm healthy. I'm blessed. Or, you know, my family, everybody's doing good. I'm blessed. Or maybe I got this great job, you know, and money's good now. Right? Money's good. I've been, God's been blessing me. Or opportunities or, or whatever. Or you know, protection, God is keeping us safe for blessings. But here, God actually defines the blessings he's talking about. In the next several verses, 4 through 7 and 8, this is what he's talking about. In verse 4, the blessings is you're chosen to be holy and blameless. In verse 5, your blessing is you're adopted as children of God. In verse 6, the blessing is grace. In verse 7, he has several. It's redemption in the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, 
And then verses 7 and 8, more grace, so much that he says it's just lavished on you. See, God's ideas of blessings and my idea of blessings aren't always the same thing. When God describes blessings, it's all about salvation. It's all about seeing, uh, you know, we need to be reconciled to him. When God looks at us, and he says, what does, what does he need? What does she need? What kind of blessings? His first thought is not, you need more money. His first thought is not, you need better health. Or, you need protection. Now, not that he's not concerned about any of those things, and that he doesn't care about that. I'm not saying that. But the center of his will, his first thought is, how can I get this person reconciled to me? How can I save this person? As a matter of fact, so much so that he will let, if he feels like a health challenge will actually draw us closer to them, he'll let us go through that. Or a, 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 a financial challenge, if it will draw us closer to him, he will let us go through that. Or a hard day at work. And sometimes I know we send out texts and say, pray for me, I'm having a hard day for work. But it might be God going, that's exactly what you need to draw you closer to me. Maybe we should not pray that you have an easy day at work. Maybe we should pray that you will grow closer and closer and trust and rely on God regardless of your circumstances. Because God's will is all focused on being reconciled to him, the salvation. And then he goes down and he, he, he defines this in verses 9 and 10. God's central will. He says in verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Here it is. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That is the mystery of his will, his desire, God's goal, God's purpose to bring everything into complete unity under Christ, Jesus. Heaven, earth, the whole universe, the planet, creation as well as man's, God's total purpose. It's all he wants. Everything else is secondary. Jesus healing people, which he did, but that was secondary to saving their souls. Jesus feeding people, which he did, but that was secondary to saving their souls. His teachings and making God and revealing God to people was all focused on saving their souls. Now the question I had to ask me is, what do I want? What do we want? Am I living in the center of God's will, of what God wants? Is that what I think about? Is that what I dream about? Is that what I work for? I wonder when many of us back in January made a decision, we were called, remember, to make a decision. One thing to work on this year, one thing to change in your life, one thing to change in our characters. How many of us chose, I want to change my heart about evangelism. I want to change my heart about reaching out and sharing God with other people. Are we living at the center of God's will? Change my heart about things. So where things take on new meaning, 
Like the chili cook-off. We had a great time last night at the chili cook-off. Uh, Sean Cochran swept the chili competition with both the best overall and the most unique. And Audrey. I just got Sean because he shook up and he got the gift cards. But they should both get them. We actually determined it's probably Audrey and Sean. Sarah Tomlinson swept the dessert competition. Which is a little unfair because she's a pastry chef. I mean, come on. But it's okay. Use your talents. Use your talents. But what was really awesome was how many people that we got to sit down with and meet and talk. And it wasn't because we did it different this year. You know, we were able to share and visit with folks. There was time. There was room to breathe. Because it wasn't so packed and crowded with people. And there were so many guests there that we just got to meet and talk and really get to know. Because that's really why we do these things. It's not to give the, 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 the Cochran's or Sarah gift cards for making good chili and for good dessert. That's not the purpose. It's not just another thing that we can do to have fun. It's to meet people. And to introduce them to our friends. And to get to know people. The Murder Mystery Dinner Theater is coming up. All right? It's not just an opportunity for you to dress up and act goofy and have fun with your brothers and sisters. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose is bring our friends. Introduce them to people. Introduce them to the body. Hopefully maybe introduce them to the Lord. Because that's the, everything else is secondary. Just this Wednesday, we're, gonna, we're not going to meet in house churches. We're going to go to a movie. We're going to go see Risen. It's not just so that we can go see this movie about looking for Jesus' body. It'll be fun, but it's something to bring our friends to, a, a, a spiritual thing, and, and introduce them and having fun. Our campus ministry, they're all set to babysit, right? You're going to do it here, right? What time? You can drop your kids off here at 6 and get there in time to get to the movie. I mean, why? and bring your friends. That's the center of why we do what we do. It's not just, let's do something different. Let's go to a movie. That's not the purpose. You understand? We want to live at the center of God's will. We've got a big Easter's coming up next month, very soon. We've got some invitations we're going to hand out here a little bit later. We're going to focus on Easter. We don't do a great job of this traditionally. We're really going to try to change this because it's not going to be just another Sunday to get together for us to celebrate the resurrection. We want to live at the center of God's will. That we can share this story with everybody because that's what God wants. Our Sunday fellowship should be focused at the center of God's will. Not just, I need to talk to this brother because I got an issue. I need to talk to this sister because something's bothering me. Or I need to, no, who can I meet? Who can I encourage? Who can I inspire? Is there somebody I don't recognize, as, as I did, Reuben mentioned, you know, that may be here for the first time going, gee, I'm here for, I don't know anybody. I wish somebody would come and say hi to me. I want to meet them. I want to reach out to them. That's thinking I'm living at the center of God's will. A bit a little later in, in, in the letter, because we've already seen, we saw this in our Bible class this morning, 1 Timothy 2, uh, God, and we already talked about it, God wants everybody to be saved, God wants all men to come to, 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 to be saved and come to a knowledge of him. A little bit later in Timothy, Paul mentions that God's already done everything he can for this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, it says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is why we labor and we strive, this is why we Work, Paul is saying, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, 
especially those who believe. Now, he's not saying that God's already saved everybody, regardless of what they believe or not ever. What he's trying to say is, is God's already done his part. He's done everything he can to get everybody in the world to him. Salvation is already there. I mean, when, when, when sin came into the world with Adam and Eve, the very next thing that happens is grace. Because instead of just wiping them out and killing them like he could have, he said, no, now paradise is lost, but here's some clothes, here's some things, boom, boom, boom. And he starts watching over them. And he immediately starts his plan to reconcile them and creation back to him. Now, things don't work out so well, so he's with Noah, he's got to do a reboot. Again, most people would have said, okay, good grief, what do I got to do? Oh, you're done. I'm done with you, but he doesn't. He wipes it out and he reboots with Noah and his family. And then out of that comes this guy, Abraham, a man of incredible faith. And he says, through this guy, through his descendants, through his children, I'm going to raise up a great people for myself. He only has one kid. He's going to raise up a whole nation. Now, this kid was prolific. I mean, he had 12 kids and then they, had, you know. But he raises up this nation. And out of that nation, he raises up a Messiah named Jesus who now will bring everyone into adoption, into that family. Everyone can come in. So Jesus has offers himself as a sacrifice for the sin that started way back with Adam and Eve. The perfect sacrifice to pay the price for rejecting and rebelling against the Almighty God. And then Jesus pays that price, and then he's got his apostles. He says, go spread the message. And then through them, he gives us the Bible, and we've got the Bible, and it's still stands true as one of the, as the most reliable ancient doc, document in the world, and we've got it in book form, and we've got it in audio form, and we've got it on every electronical form, and we've got the Bible all over the place because God says, I'm doing everything I can. And he sends his spirit to work and try to help and draw people to him, and he determines the time and places for them to live so that they'll reach out to him, and God's going, I'm doing everything I can to save the world. Why? Because this is my will. This is the center of what I am all about. And people say, well, I, I felt the grace of God when I was saved. And I'm going, oh, well, you might have felt it there, but it was there all along. The grace of God has been there since day one. It's just up to us to come to the grace of God. Because he's done everything he can. It's the central of his will. He wants all men to be saved. He wants to bring everything in heaven and on earth into unity under Christ. He wants us to go to all nations and all people and make those disciples. He wants us to preach this gospel to all of the world. That's what he wants. That's the center of his will. And he calls us, go tell that to the world. Let everybody know that. It's a great story. Turn to Matthew 22. Jesus illustrates his point. This is so cool in this parable. Because when we understand this parable in light of this, Jesus spoke to them again in the parables, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king, and he prepared a wedding banquet for his son. All right, and he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come on. But they refused to come. Here he's, he's talking about to that, that nation, that Jewish nation. And he says, I'm going to raise these people up for me. I prepared this for these people, but their refusal to come to Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 4, he sent some more servants. Okay, I mean, they didn't come, but let's give them another shot. Those who have been invited, go tell those who have been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner, guys. My oxen, the fatted cow, everything's butchered. Everything is ready. 
come on to my banquet. This is going to be awesome. See, God continues to reach out. He continues to try because he's full of love. And this is the center of his will. This is the center of what he desires. They're his chosen ones. Beginning in verse 5, but they paid no attention. And they went off. One to his field, the other to his business. I mean, they, listen, I got life. I ain't got time for this religious stuff. I got this little thing called life I got to live. The rest, he seized the servants. They mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army to destroy those murderers and burn their city. Not only did they reject the prophets, not only did they reject God's offer, they actually, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They became violent about it. Not just, hey, good for you, you know, you do your thing, I'll do that. No, they, they, they started opposing it, and God was not fired up. Okay, verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet's ready. God said, I've done my part. It's ready, guys. We're ready. See, but those I invited don't deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. God says, fine, we'll open it up to everybody else. And then he uses that phrase, anyone you can find. Why? Because God wants it all. He's God. He wants it all. So the servants went out into the streets, and they gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Finally, God gets what he wants, full of guests. All the people they could find. Not just the religious friends of God, the good and the bad. Because God goes, I want them all. That's part of my will. That's what I desire. Verse 11, though, the king, he came in to see the guests, and he noticed there was a man there not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, uh, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Now, we've got to understand a little cultural thing of what's going on here. What would happen if you're throwing a wedding, maybe uh, Stephen Sherry Reynolds, you don't want to listen up, you've got a wedding coming up. But you want to throw a wedding for all the guests, you provided outfits for them. And so even the guests would be color-coordinated with the wedding. Now, we still kind of carry over some of this tradition, except with us, it's just usually the bridesmaids and the groomsmen that are all dressed alike. And the father of the bride does not provide for that. You probably have to buy it for yourself for the honor of being in the wedding. But, but that's what they would do. And so if you came into the wedding, you needed to be dressed a certain way. You had to have the wedding clothes on. If you didn't, it's like, just like having, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not like, which one of these things is not like the others? Right. Something is not right here. Why aren't you dressed? And then, he says, you know, you got to have, if you're not, you get kicked out. Now, God has provided the wedding clothes for us in his banquet. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 says, So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So, he says, okay, you got to have your right clothes on to get into God's banquet. But verse 13, we see the king told attendants, tie that guy up hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth because many are invited, 
few are chosen, many are invited. Uh, basically, everybody was invited. Everybody they could find. They looked everywhere they could look. But you've got to do your part. You've got to do your part. Not only do you have to accept the invitation, you've got to put on your right wedding clothes. You've got to put on your Jesus clothes. Be baptized and clothe yourself with Christ. You can't really call yourself a children of God without being clothed with Christ. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying baptism is some kind of a magic bullet. You know, kind of the way I was raised in the church I grew up with, everything focused on get baptized. And it was like, you get baptized, you're saved. You're done. You're good. Okay. And it was kind of like this just thing you had to do. And it's not necessarily that. Uh, I'm just saying baptism was a part of it. If someone's telling you you can be saved without being baptized with Christ and clothing yourself with Christ, they're misleading you. But it's more than just getting dunked in the water. Just like it's more than just saying, well, Jesus is my Lord. Okay, now I'm saved. There's more to it than that. There is actually saying, not just saying, but saying, okay, Jesus is now going to be Lord of my life. I'm going to be living for Jesus. He's going to be making the calls. I'm going to be with him. Therefore, now I'm going to clothe myself with him when I'm baptized. And now I'm ready to go into the Lord's banquet. But this is a, a convoluted thing. This is why we call people to study the Bible. Because this is not a message that a lot of people talk about. And I realized I needed it when I was like, hey, well, I've been baptized. What? But you know what? It's not just this thing you do. I mean, it's, it's the whole thing of clothing yourselves with Christ. And what that really means. And now that Jesus, when people look at me, they need to see Jesus. That's why I got baptized again. Because I said, I got to do it the way it says here in the Bible. And I call people today, if you're in our guests, I call you, get in a Bible study and look at some of this stuff and see what it really means. God has done everything he can, and he's shown us, but we've got to go and find it. And that's why we try to help other people find it. That's why he said, hey, we go and we help people. Jesus said, go tell the good news. That's what we try to do. And I call for the rest of us, examine your hearts. Is God's central will is his central focus, is his central desire your central will? Are you living in the center of God's will? We've met several people over the past two weeks that are living this life. They've inspired us. They've encouraged us. For just a few moments, I'm going to have Miss Phyllis share about a few of these people. Uh, she's going to have to do it briefly. <laughs> but she's going to share just to give us some examples of how, what, what that could look like in our lives. Okay, so he took the words out of my mouth. That these people did inspire us, they encouraged us. We had some great conversations about where are we going to go from here in our own lives as we're striving to live in the center of God's will. These people were already doing it. And this is people from all ages. We met young people that had graduated college. Some had postpone their career to go on a one-year challenge. And some were staying for two years. Some were in, ended up being hired by the church that they went to. And so very encouraging. We met empty nesters that are just, hey, this is what we can go and do. We can do this for a week. We can do this for two weeks. There is a couple from Worcester, Mass. that we knew of, but we got reacquainted with, Chris and Ann, um, what was their last name? is Staffians. They live very frugal nine months out of the year. 
they're about our age, they've retired early, they spend three months out of the year in Europe with one church, and they'll each year take a different church. And I go, wow, okay, that what you know. Uh, and they've spent quite a bit of time in the Middle East, which is very challenging for me. Um, and then we met, uh, you know, people that are willing to go to Norway and just people that are wherever they're willing to go. There's a young couple that were living in Virginia, just wanted to do more. There's so many places in Europe that are looking for someone to come and lead the church. They're small churches, but they, they don't have anyone to lead. Istanbul is losing their, their, the couple that's leading. They're moving back to the States in two months. There's not going to be anyone to lead that church. It's a church of 18 people, but they're sharing their faith. But anyway, uh, this couple, uh, Paulo and Kara, were living in Virginia thinking, what can we do? We want to do more. They were hearing about there's places that need leadership. There's places that need us. So they prayed about it, and God put Gla uh, Glasgow, Ireland, on both Scotland on both of their hearts. They're leading the church in Glasgow with them and their three children. And, you know, great couple. And so, you know, it's just, it doesn't matter. I think this is what we saw. It didn't matter if they were young or if they were retired. There's this whole group of people. I want to serve. I'm going to do whatever I can. And it just continues to have us continue to have conversations with each other. So, amen. You got we talked about trying to have the Estafians come in here just to share with us their heart because it's so, it's so encouraging. We got so many empty nesters here. But yeah, we're calling some of you to go to Europe. You don't always need to know the language. We already told you there are certain places. English is great. Some of you, high school, can go and go to university there. It's actually less than half the cost of university here. Mom and dad say amen. To me, what reminded, opened my eyes more than anything was we're, we're just fellowshipping, we're hanging out with some people in Istanbul, and we meet this young girl. Her name is Elizabeth. And she doesn't look like everybody else. When we talked to her, it's because she was born and raised in Mexico. She's this Mexican young woman in Istanbul. And we're talking to her, and we find out, well, she was converted in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She was born in Mexico. Went to university in Ann Arbor, gets converted. Now she's on the second year of her one-year challenge in Norway. I'm going, God is up there going, I'll use anybody that's willing. I'll take a girl from Mexico, get her in the Lord, get, and get her to Norway. I'll use anybody who's willing to live at the center of my will, young or old. Super experienced, not experienced, I'll figure it out. I'm calling everybody here to change our hearts about living at the center of God's will and sharing the gospel right here. Who knows, you might meet an Elizabeth in Champagne. Maybe instead of going to school in Ann Arbor, they decided to go to school in Champagne. And God's waiting for us to reach out to them, and they come to the and then they, he'll send them. Maybe you say, it's not me to go, but maybe you're supposed to meet that person. Or maybe you're there, you didn't meet them, but God's looking at you to reach out to and show love and inspire that person that somebody else met and brought. And you're making them feel pulled in and loved and welcomed. 
It's all part of God's will. And yeah, it takes money. It takes money to go over there. It takes money to help them out. Maybe you're that person that says, look, we just, we, we're going to help sponsor some stuff. Because we've got, we're hoping to go two more times this year, and we're hoping to take some people with us to help the churches in, 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 in the Ukraine. We're planning on bringing them back. But maybe not. Because we're calling all of us to live at the center of God's will. 